0: All right, gang, it is that time of the week. It is the best Tuesday you've had all week, and I am your host, Dave Littlejohn. Joining me today in studio, Matt Dixon, and I'm excited because I'm actually back from vacation. Yes, we don't announce it when I'm gone because that would be weird. I don't need a case in my house or something, but um, anyway, great trip, but also great to be back and ready to rock and you're also missing your other microphone, Matt. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> I know. It was a it was a hectic one today, wasn't it? We've been busy.
0: It was. We've had a pile going on today. Uh, of course, it is a a, a day. Yeah that right? that
1: that's what it is. We didn't get a Monday in office, so exactly. it kind of threw us if into. Exactly. You, Remember, if
0: you've been with us long enough, you know what a Tunday is. That's when you skip Monday. You got to cram it all into Tuesday. So your Monday and Tuesday get combined into not a Monday uh and not a tuesday but a ton day. it could be a Muse day but no it's a ton well day.
1: and a lot of our tuesdays involve investment committee meetings yep. which for us that just means we're reviewing all of the holdings is you know that are our positions working does something need to be changed yep and so that takes up a big part of the day too
0: right and and do keep in mind this is me going ready for the disclosure moment right the disclosure moment is when people say wait a second you do this every tuesday
1: not well, every tuesday well but kind of, we kind, kind of. of do it I mean, every so day. We do this
0: constantly. <laughs> so I thought investing is long term. said, well, it is. But one of the things that we've talked about is how position sizing is very important mm-hmm. in managing your investments. Because we have, you know, if you've got a bunch of positions, let's say, I mean, think of it, if you're managing a mutual fund, which effectively what we do for the majority of our clients is we build sort of private mutual funds, right? Mm -hmm. Which doesn't make sense because mutual funds by definition are getting everybody to pool their resources together. But in this case, for our clients that have adequate assets, we are building the portfolios directly for them. And there are some advantages to that, right? Because Mm -hmm. you get things like, Individual cost basis, so you have some more tax control over your own holdings when you do that. Less important if you're in a retirement plan, but if you're you know not in a some kind of tax deferral wrapper like a IRA or a 401k, then tax control or tax management is part of the game. So anyway, the position sizing though is well, what happens if you you buy something and it doubles in size? And so well, you know, we bought a position that's supposed to be 10 percent of the portfolio, and now it's 20.
1: Well, and I think even like something that is pretty common, right? Say you buy 10% and it goes to 12. Maybe it's time, we still love the company, but maybe it's time to trim it back to that original 10% right, back and to 10. take some profits and continue to hold it long term. Well,
0: And sometimes we'll sell the thing that was supposed to be 10%, it's grown to 12%. we will sell that and go buy the thing that fell to 8% because mm-hmm. it, it was supposed to be 10, right? And these are all fictional percentages, but hey, we need to buy it while it's on sale, right? So we trim the thing that's sort of winning buy the thing that's not winning, which is a little counterintuitive, but if you liked a company before and it got cheaper and you had more money, then it's an opportunity to buy it at an even better price. Right. Okay, so that is some of what is going on in there. And so we have to stay on top of this, mm-hmm. okay? So, but that's, that, that's simply the novelty of, cramming a lot into a ton day. yes <laughs> when you have the investment committee on a ton day at the beginning of the month too right because really the first tuesday in september which is the last month of q3 right?
1: that year went by quick
0: it's flying isn't it it's, and here's yeah. and by the way uh public congratulations but matt has officially uh two months or two years rather You've passed the two-year mark yeah. since August, really, but I don't yeah. think we properly credited you on air. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, congratulations for surviving. I appreciate that, yes. And it continues to add more value in the business, which we're going to talk a little bit about today. One of the points that comes up, and when I say building a team, you say, oh, it, it'll come back. Stay with me. Mm. Right? Stay with me. But uh, anyhow, I, all of this... I don't know. what So so the end of the Q3, September, historically, one of the worst months on the calendar for investors. Okay. Is that how it's going to materialize? Heck if I know anymore, right? Right. Because this year has just fooled me left and right in terms. And I'm glad that we didn't like bet the farm by trying to be all out of the market and get really cutesy with timing. Mm -hmm. We probably have had, uh, in some of our portfolios, we may have had a little bit more cash in retrospect than was beneficial, but we've also had some fortunate security selection in a number of our portfolios that has sort of counterbalanced. So even though we had some cash, the the holdings that we picked were pretty good market outperformers since they really lifted the whole boat or the whole tide, if you will, mm-hmm. by, by the, uh, I guess it's the way averages work, right? If you have 10 positions in one of them it performs everything by 20 to one the whole portfolio still looks pretty good but it's really just the one holding right and then people go why did you just put all the money in there and i go uh hello diversification
1: (laughs) we didn't know it was gonna do that like
0: yeah well we had we 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 hoped it would do that right right but, but it's there's some really challenging statistics out there uh and indexers love to cite these statistics about just how many stocks as a percentage of the total market underperform the market at large
1: isn't it the majority like, of oh them? Yeah, the, the, yeah the
0: majority i think it's like 70 percent or more i could go track the numbers down i uh, but this was an interesting uh it was a uh, like a youtube that I, a friend of mine was sending me and i was kind of going through it and they really were making the case for how um indexing tends to be a good mechanism because market timing is difficult so many of these stocks underperform Uh, now i think that indexing is really uh insightful considering the methodology of indexing
1: Mm -hmm. okay
0: and that's probably a great topic for another show like the methodology of indexing and how it can produce over concentration in the winners Right. Like the S&P 500 is a cap weighted index. And as, right. as a company grows, its cap weighting grows, which means and its weighting in the index grows, too. Right. And, and as it actually, currently
1: sits, like, I think five percent of the or five companies inside of those 500 make up 20 percent of the index. Yeah.
0: It's it's a very, very concentrated portfolio in a handful of names, which happen to be great performers. Mm hmm. OK. So, so they
1: kind of soften the blow of the ones that are just really sucking.
0: Well, it, it, yeah, it. it I always say it's the eclipse theory, right? Mm-hmm. They're so big you can't see what's behind them, and right. so they, they kind of eclipse all of the underperformers by by being so good that by the the their concentration it, it just well, lifts the whole. And thing. And
1: it kind of makes sense, right? The big dog keeps eating l- little dogs, right? If if Why this are dog's eating dogs, well, please? think about it. You know, the you the got shark the shark eats the minnow. You, well, okay, <laughs> the big yeah, that's probably a better analogy, but um yeah you know you got these small companies that get acquired by the larger companies and so even if that company you know might fail are they really failing or did they just get bought out by the big fish
0: yeah so anyway um the we can talk more about this i don't think it's the topic for today right today really when we we're looking at what what are our listeners interested in or who are the people that we want to talk to, Mm -hmm. like, uh, of our listeners, I want to talk to all of you, but today, Matt, I want to have a conversation with you about how people start businesses, right? This is one of the uh, types of clientele that we tend to specialize in, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that today, why our firm cares. But for any of you out there, some of you, if you've recently started a business, or if you are thinking about starting a business, this is becoming more and more relevant in the gig economy, Mm -hmm. right? Where a lot of people are realizing that the traditional job landscape is changing. And so maybe you've wanted to figure out, well, maybe I'd like to do, do my own thing. So if you're an entrepreneur, or if you are maybe just fed up with being an employee and you never thought you were an entrepreneur, but maybe you are.
1: Maybe we're going to start to see more and more small businesses start up. I think about how many people kind of left the workforce when COVID hit. Um, For those people that are starting to maybe feel the pain of inflation, Mm -hmm. I think we might see a lot of those people gravitating towards how do I start my own business or what does it look like if I do this myself? So I think this is going to pertain to
0: a lot of listeners. Maybe it's a side hustle. Mm -hmm. Maybe this is about trying to Control, like get a different handle on your lifestyle, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe it's just because you know it's a dream you've always had, or maybe it's because you've lost your job and you got to figure out how to put life back together.
1: So, kind of start me out with this this topic of kind of laying a foundation out for me and saying, um, what are some of the things that someone can do early on in the beginning phases of this where you know, they they get the, the foundation laid so that when they're starting to build the business, things start off on the right foot. Okay. What, what are some ideas that you might have?
0: So um, this is a really good. Because
1: so you've done it, right? You've started a business. I've started, you, you've oh,
0: walked this walk. I've done this many times, yeah. both for myself, for other people. And I've blown it, too. Like yeah. I've had failures at this. So I could tell you well, sometimes start, it works, sometimes it well, happens.
1: Can we start there? Like, What was one of your takeaways from a business that didn't work? What was like something that you noticed that kind of was like the nail in the coffin where um, maybe if you could go back in time, you'd change it. Maybe you wouldn't. Or just was the foundation not right for the business that didn't turn out? Or kind of walk me through that.
0: So... All right, I'll give you one example. This was back in from 2006 to 2010. um, Had a a partnership that was formed with the purpose of building small aircraft, right? two seaters. And had an engineer, had some capital. I was sort of the program manager, the executive that's trying to pull this together. And we really did it on a shoestring budget. The thing that ultimately killed it, it was a two part issue one was a third party that crashed one of the prototypes
1: so it wasn't even you guys someone yes. made a mistake crashed a plane so, and it went up in flames yeah.
0: now <laughs> that's literally what i just just so everybody can know right the test pilot was fine i think he broke his thumb when he landed what well, how do you break mean, a thumb of all surfaces things? and i think that the the actual control stick was bucking pretty hard when he landed and so i think it it broke he broke his thumb was it
1: it, uh, the plane's fault or was it the pilot
0: no it what happens is this was an an engine manufacturer and they they put their experimental engine and we we allowed and we put it in our aircraft and the they had a um gearbox that was designed to reduce the RPMs to the appropriate amount for the propeller and the gearbox overheated and seized in flight. Okay. And so it lost power, they had to ditch the aircraft and when, they, when he ditched it, it was a successful uh, emergency landing but they did not have any fire suppression equipment and the aircraft, once it crashed, burned.
1: And you had a lot of money, I'm sure, in this plane.
0: Uh, about a quarter million dollars into the plane. Okay. Yeah, you know, or more, and that and that was really not valuing the time significantly for the the, mm. the build out of it. Um, so yes, it was it was very expensive, and it was really tough to overcome that because from 2006 to 2010 we also had the overall economy collapse, right? So, so
1: just timing kind timing of
0: timing really harmed us, and um, the, you know competition harmed us because there was a lot of people competing in the aircraft space. This was a unique space and time where uh, there was sort of a crack in the regulations, not a crack, like it was introduced on purpose, but there was this new set of regulations that allowed a real expansion of the marketplace for two-seat light aircraft. So we built one, but so did a bunch of other people, and everybody was competing thinking that the market was going to expand and there would be new pilots, and there weren't. Instead, it was a feeding frenzy of the handful of pilots that were around so the companies that had the most capital survived and probably 60 manufacturers popped up and i don't know 58 of them died
1: i think there's a lesson to be learned in in what you're just talking about here in that yeah you struck out on this one business but did that stop you from ever trying to build a business ever again
0: definitely not, not.
1: yeah i mean
0: and, and here's the thing the, the it was a lot of it was circumstance and mm-hmm. some of it was capital uh in the end lessons were learned but we'll we'll talk about this in a minute here the business plan other than the prototype being destroyed mm-hmm. which keep in mind it was working right the prototype flew it mm-hmm. was the engine this reminds me of
1: Heinz ketchup right like um, i don't I, know if you know the story but Heinz yeah. ketchup they they were Super popular when they unveiled their product, everyone wanted ketchup. The factory burnt down, and it was either underinsured or not insured at all. He lost everything. And it's kind of a similar story, but he just was so determined to build it back because he believed in the product that he just kept going and defied all the odds.
0: This one, it He was, could have folded. There was more market analysis that suggested, even if we were successful in getting the company to survive, mm-hmm. Um, I'll use the phrase, there wasn't enough meat on the bone. Right? It was a business that was capable of keeping itself alive and keeping a few people employed, Mm -hmm. but it it didn't seem to be capable of developing enough margins to really be a remarkable wealth builder.
1: So you had a good product. That wasn't the issue.
0: The issue was that the market itself couldn't bear more in the end, and so we didn't fully understand the market and the capacity. We thought that these new rules would expand the number of participants and so we would have an increase in demand and that just didn't materialize that makes sense so anyway it's an interesting lesson so let's parlay this okay okay we have to take our first break we're gonna come back and we're gonna talk to entrepreneurs about how might you go about starting your business and avoiding the crash and burn mistake that ah. I experienced?
1: <laughs> okay, All right. we're ready for it. That
0: and more when we come back. Stick around, I'm Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. And you're listening to True Wealth on News radio 93.9 FM and 1240 KQEN. Hey, that's the music. Now we oh, are back on. It's
1: time. It's All
0: right, time. welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show where we remind you at this break that we podcast this show.
1: Is that good enough? Is that yeah, that So
0: right. go to littlejohnfs.com, check it out under the uh, educate area or a uh, knowledge center. I think it's called the Knowledge Center now. And uh, you can also subscribe to it on your favorite podcast services. So, you know, Apple and all those places that they do it. So, well, we hope that you will do that and then tell everybody that you know about it. But today, we're going to talk to our entrepreneurs or potential entrepreneurs because maybe you don't even know it yet, but you got a dream. And we gotta help you.
1: Okay. If they have a dream, is that good enough? Or do or do we need a niche?
0: No, you just, all you need is a dream and you're fine. Just yeah. wing it. I feel it's like just we're. Just a dream and a prayer and you got this.
1: It's a little fluffy, David. Okay, I love maybe it.
0: Maybe not, maybe not. <laughs> so we're gonna lay this out. Uh, we're gonna, we're gonna just pick this apart because we thought this was a little bit funny. Okay. So what do we do, Matt?
1: Yeah. Okay. So, Dirty Confession of the Day. Last week we had an awesome radio show but I might have cheated a little bit and used AI to help me build that awesome show. Now, were we reading from a script? No, but did it did it give us some awesome talking points? Yes, and we may have done it again today, but you so um, politely pointed out, yeah, this is a framework, but it's really lacking some details, and it's kind of vague, but it was just vague enough to where we wanted to talk about these points and then bring our spin to it and give you the the details that you really need to know yeah
0: so let me read through the high level of the plan and then we're going to spend a little time unpacking this okay and what we're going to do is try to get into the into more of the nitty-gritty here right because what one of the things that ai has a problem with first of all it tends to answer the question that you ask it okay and if you don't know the questions to ask it doesn't know to tell you a different answer then the other thing, and we're starting to learn says AI is not necessarily getting smarter. No, because
1: we've, we've seen the exact opposite. Yeah, the
0: more humans interact with it, it's starting to get a learning model with all the dumb questions that we ask back to it. <laughs> right. Well,
1: I mean, it makes sense. If you start putting dumb humans in charge of training AI, AI is going to become yeah. more like a human. And it, that means you're going yeah, to it become goes toward not the lowest robot. common denominator. Exactly. Right? It has to. It's how it's built.
0: So here we go. Here's the step one of building a profitable business. Step one. Let's say successful, this is profitable, but whatever. So step one, laying the foundation. What it Mm -hmm. says is find your niche, build a business plan, and build a strong team. Next, (laughs) you need growth strategies, which means you need marketing and branding, customer acquisition and retention, and innovation and adaptation. And finally, you're going to need sustainability and profitability which includes financial management, scaling responsibilities, and building partnerships and alliances. Finally, and you can tell this is built into the radio show segments, uh-huh. Right, there's four yeah. segments. Finally, we need some success stories and takeaways. So uh, that includes personal growth and leadership, overcoming challenges, and a vision for the future. So to which I go, well thanks for telling me nothing (laughs) what else am i supposed to say like how do you build a profitable business well we're gonna need some unicorns and rainbows and it'll be wonderful Uh, okay let's go back to this finding your niche that was the first thing that it says building the foundation of your business find your niche yeah
1: well, I think that
0: I can I I just say before even that like yeah. why don't you figure out what your your product is? mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Okay? Because your niche is figuring out which customers want well, the product and how you're going to reach them. And just them. because
1: it's your niche doesn't mean it's profitable, right? Like if oh, you it's sell the Waffles thing, isn't it? We can use the yeah, I used to totally use the waffle thing. <laughs> well, I was going to go even worse than that. Oh, do you go worse than I care? <laughs> like, I was going to say, what if you carve little like mini unicorns and paint them? Like, there's a I don't, huge market for that. Yeah. Right. Like, if you expect to become a millionaire, I don't recommend starting a unicorn carving business. Maybe it'll work. Right. It's, yeah,
0: it's <laughs> unlikely. But I I liked the waffle on it. So earlier we were doing some show yeah. prep because we actually thought we'd try show prep today. Uh, novel right mm-hmm. and that, I, that says to me well what if you want to sell waffles but your recipe sucks <laughs>
1: yeah right like you <laughs> think like, your waffles that's are a delicious fair
0: point right like everybody should love my waffles i love my waffles and everybody keeps going these are terrible i would never buy these right and you're like no they're amazing and i'm gonna make a fortune on them and you're like so you go out there and try to sell your terrible waffles and you fail they're crappy waffles. What are you supposed to do? Right. So, you, you just, just because
1: you think your niche is making waffles doesn't mean you're an actual chef.
0: Yes, and so that to me is, you know, step one is. Well, not what just if the niche? But it's like, what hey, if there's
1: thirty-five waffle houses in your zip code? Right. You like, make you, some really good. Waffles. You better know your demographic.
0: Yeah. So this to me is where there is this analysis, at a very simple level it is, the supply and demand analysis. Mm-hmm. I have a widget, a product, a service, and do I have customers? Right. Okay. So, if you, like, you know, hey, I have a restaurant, but I only sell cornflakes. It's like, well, that you don't have a restaurant. Like, you sell cornflakes, and anybody can get those. So, probably not a viable niche, mm-hmm. okay? I have a restaurant and I make, you know, Chinese food and it's amazing, okay? You you may have something there. People like amazing Chinese food and they're, you know, if you're priced in the right spot and you got enough people in the area, because here's the thing, Chinese restaurant in your town of 50 people, you better have a lot of freeway traffic mm-hmm. or you just may not have enough people to keep paying for Chinese food, you'll still starve. Yeah. Right. And metaphorically, in this case, like, you'll starve because not everybody's going to eat Chinese food for every meal and pay you every time. So you just don't have enough customers. hmm. Right. Not a viable option. Right. Okay. So it's not just like find a niche. It's like, well, does your product have enough customers to begin with in the first place?
1: I'm going to tell us a, a funny story just okay. for a moment. This reminds me of someone I know, and they told me that they were going to and they were actually doing it at the time. I, I'm a farmer and i'm like oh okay that's great and i started asking questions like how many acres do you farm and they said they had an acre okay. and i'm like you have a spouse and two kids to feed and you have started a business you're in the first year of this and you plan to be a farmer with one acre uh,
0: you your the business math doesn't seem to work no out.
1: No. And they were going to the local, you know, uh, the farmers. farmers, Thank you. Yeah. The farmers markets. And they're selling their microgreens and doing their thing. Right. And I'm like, I get that that's your passion and you think it's your niche, but it's not profitable. Like, right. What's your goal? Okay. Say you, you, you execute everything perfectly. You, none of your crops die. You harvest them all and you have enough buyers. Is that going to be enough sales right, to actually turn a profit to sustain your family. There was no business planning involved.
0: And so this is really the key to what you're saying too, I believe, which is this step that is sort of glossed over is where it says, you know, business planning, craft a solid business plan and set clear goals, secure funding and manage initial capital effectively. And like again, super vague stuff here. The business plan, I'm convinced, is often misunderstood
1: what do you how do you interpret business plan so or what do you think a good business plan might look like I think that's that the better you, question. i think a
0: good business plan can start on the back of a napkin first oh of all. Okay. okay i i think what you have is a business concept and then you have the execution or the strategy and that's people often conflate the two let's let's talk about business model and then we'll talk about business plan and business strategy, okay? Okay. The business plan sort of is all of these things, but you need to know if the model is viable, meaning how much money is the business capable of earning, what are the expenses that it's going to have to endure, and is there any profit left over?
1: Can we just do like a TikTok reels thing where you're hosting the show and it's napkin ideas with David Littlejohn where we write down a business plan, you read it, and then review it in under 60 seconds. (laughs) I would love to see that.
0: Uh, uh, Sure. We can look into it. All right. Here's the fun, right? We literally own the uh, domain name for napkin plan.
1: No, you don't. I do.
0: Stop it. Stop the it. This can't plan be real. Concept wise has been something that I've had in the back of my head for years. And it's the idea that a business, if you cannot understand it on the back of a napkin, has virtually zero chance of succeeding. Mm. Right. Now, the napkin itself is not adequate for fully explaining your business in the execution and strategy because there's going to be complexities to it. Right. Like a napkin's not even going to explain payroll. Okay. But it can, under, it can explain that my business does this thing, it has this many customers that pay this much and it generates this much revenue. It costs this much to produce the product and the revenue minus expenses is this number and I can tell if it's viable with that basic math.
1: Okay, that's a good point. To start from i yeah. like that
0: so so you start with is the business model
1: isn't it sad plan? how many people start a business without even looking at the numbers and they realize oh my widget makes me 25 cents and it took me an hour to build it yeah and yeah. it's over
0: but and i April already dumped say, well, all so this money. About it and, and i go but but passion doesn't pay the bills right okay so the goal would be find a business and and we can talk a little bit later about this too like maybe the business is just not at the right scale Mm-hmm. Right, So I need to have a way to mass produce this thing and have lots of customers. So I may have very narrow margins, Walmart, right? Perfect but example. But I have massive customer base. And so I can make pennies millions and millions of times and still make a living. It's
1: so important to know what circle you're trying to play in. Yeah. Because, I mean, are you a volume person? Are you gonna sell two items a year and make a living? Where, where are you yeah. living at? I mean,
0: if you're a, an artist, and you can paint paintings that you can sell for $100,000 and it takes you two months to do it, yep. well, you can sell six paintings a year and be very wealthy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Very few people can do that. Right. Right. So that that's the issue here. But anyway, so that's the start is, can you develop a business model that functions? And if you can, then you can talk about the strategy for how you'll do that. The strategy explains how you're going to produce it and how the expenses are going to affect it. So that's all it's really doing is, well, this is the business model. This is what it's got to do. The business plan is, how will I execute this and get it done? And in the marketing strategy, also inside of that is, how are, am I going to let my potential customers know about this so that they will come purchase it? Mm-hmm. And some marketing is word of mouth, others it's advertising and other methodologies. Right. So. All of that gets incorporated into the business plan, which, you know, ChatGPT sort of dismissively says, get a business plan, Mm -hmm. right? and find a niche. And I'm like, well, no, you better know your product, know if it's viable, and then you can look at your business model. And if you got a good business model, then you can say, well, I have a business plan to explain how I can execute it. And then you need the reality check that I always tell people, right? Um, You wanna know the secret reality check to a a business model? Yeah. Okay, good, stick around. I'm gonna make you wait until the break. Don't do that. Yeah, no, after the break, secret to viable business model we'll be right back. This is Dave Littlejohn and Matt Dixon. You got True Well on News radio 939 FM and 12:40, KKWE. <laughs> <laughs> just just tell us we're fine. It's great. <laughs> uh, welcome back to the True Well show where yes, you've missed the uh, the banter during the break. Uh but it was it's Surrounding all re- totally relevant recreation. to this yeah. show today. Uh I, t- I promised in the break, we're talking about what is the secret to a healthy business model. And to it, which I
1: respond, like,
0: you got to earn more money than you're spending. And I'm like, that's the number one rule of finance, right? Just uh, spend less than you make. And it works in business, too. But here's the way that I tell people to make sure that your business model works. So you've gone through it. You've pulled the napkin plan out and said, all right, well, here's how much I am I can earn. And then here's how much it's going to cost me to do it. And what I want you to do is, now, you're going to take the expenses and double them and take the revenue and cut it in half. If you still have profit in your napkin plan, there's a chance.
1: I love that you asterisk chance.
0: Right? There's a chance, not a guarantee here. Mm Because, one, it may still be a harebrained idea. Because And the people you surround yourself with all tell you it's great, mm-hmm. but they're not telling you the truth because they don't want to hurt your feelings or because you run in a very small circle of people that think it's great and the rest of the world disagrees with you. Mm-hmm. Okay? Like
1: if you're in West Virginia and you come up with the idea to make Mountain Dew flavored popsicles, everyone's going to love your idea because that's what you drink if you live in West Virginia. Did Is you know it? it's cheaper than water? What? Yeah, it's called Mountain Dew mouth. It exists in that region because of the fact that bottled water is more expensive than Mountain Dew, and so everyone's what about teeth rot up. Tap water. That's. Uh, it's not drinkable. It's in a lot of places. It's just not good wow. enough, and so you have to get bottled water. But water's more expensive than Mountain Dew.
0: This is news to me. That yeah. that's news I didn't even want to hear. Yeah, Google I, Mountain I, Dew mouth. It's I, disgusting. I really want to, I want that to not be true. Cause I feel like a uh, Mountain Dew mouth is also like a gateway to type two diabetes.
1: Absolutely.
0: So yeah, it doesn't seem like any good comes from this. No,
1: I don't even know how I got there. How did we get there?
0: Something about the double the expenses and cut the revenue in half <laughs> somewhere in there. Was, We're in
1: the weeds. Thanks, Matt.
0: <laughs> I had West Virginia. And, yeah. You lost me there, buddy. But <laughs> The reason that I tell... Oh, it's the harebrained idea. You might be surrounded with, you know, yes people around you. Oh, and yeah. Mountain Dew popsicles. There, no, there you no, go. we got that one back. <laughs> I kind of pulled out of the fire. So the issue here, I think, with um, the... the <laughs> you can't back, unsee that, it, can you? No, no. <laughs> See what you done? <laughs> yeah. Trying to get mentally back onto the game of the, I think the, the we were, business model. I think
1: this was a gateway into talking about how you got to build a strong team. Maybe that's where we well, are that's, with this. Well, that's
0: really the next thing, right? So yeah. you one, does your business model have a chance? If the answer is yes, then you go about executing on it. And then you get to the really hard stuff, which mm-hmm. is actually running the business. And a lot of that, if it's just you, the good news is the boss may be terrible, but you know what the vacation policy is, Mm -hmm. right? But once you start introducing other people into the equation, the complexities build really quick. Okay. okay? Because maybe you can get contractors where you just pay the money and they are really their own provider. They're their own business.
1: That's the problem there is the inconsistencies, right? Well,
0: not only that, there has to be inconsistencies, right? Mm -hmm. They have to be able to set their own hours and so forth, or you're really kind of skirting around employment rules. Mm -hmm. And employment laws get thick in a hurry and you know you end up having attorneys that specialize in this kind of stuff because there's just that much of it, and it produces things like HR departments because of the complexities of hiring employees and navigating that process. And it's a darn shame because this is literally where the cost of regulation well, escalates for businesses. And a business.
1: we live in a state where small businesses get hammered, right? Like Oregon, it's tough.
0: It's so. That's one of the number one threats to small business mm-hmm. is policy. Right. Government policy, regulation, and so forth. Because a lot of times what happens is people just don't know what they don't know. hmm And that, I mean, I don't know what I don't know.
1: There's a lot of regulations, I, and I doubt you know all of them. But that's why you hire people to not keep not you out of the yeah, weeds. So
0: that's why we have attorneys and other experts that we bring in, all of which has a cost. And unfortunately... Mm-hmm all of that has to be absorbed by the business, which means it has to get priced into the business model. And then
1: passed on to the consumer. And
0: now you see where the business plan becomes more complex. This is
1: why I find it so funny. Everyone who's like, we need more regulations and more government intervention. And I'm like, you're paying for it, just so you know. You just highlighted how that works. It rolls downhill. We have to pay for compliance. We...
0: (laughs) Right. Total side comment to this whole thing, but... I'm gonna throw rocks at this for a second too do it people will often s- that people that say we need more regulations to protect folks mm-hmm. don't understand that what you're really doing is pricing out choice yes because the largest companies have the most income in order to absorb the cost of that and what happens is they can hold their breath longer than the small companies can mm-hmm. so you throw crazy employment requirements at uh, I will just pick let's say Walmart okay they have enough revenue as a company that they can absorb that so the minimum wage goes up they absorb it price it into their business model but the mom and pop shop gets crushed Mm -hmm. and then they're gone and then what you're left with is only walmart and then they they get to control the price if
1: walmart is the only place that you can buy your diapers or your food they're going to control the price
0: they're going to certainly influence right because this you Take more and more competition out of the marketplace. Mm-hmm. That's the byproduct. Yep. Okay. So this is just throwing rocks at the idea that regulations protect people. That well, we just need a minimum wage and everything will be okay. It's well, basic so. supply and
1: demand. If they have all the supply and demand remains right. the same, they will adjust prices. I will
0: continue to beat this drum on this show until, uh, you know, I'm dragged out. Which is that what a natural market needs is pricing transparency and competition. Okay. The more regulations and the less transparency we have in pricing, and this is a big problem with medicine, for example, right? Mm-hmm. Even the doctors don't know what it costs, right? A doctor doesn't know what it's going to cost when they perform a service. They have to submit it to insurance. They're going to throw some number at it for submission. Insurance is going to tell them one number, and then there's going to be an argument and a write off. And then at, at the end of it all, some money will come back into the practice, and they'll have to figure that out hospitals are dealing with this private practice is dealing with this and so that's just medicine which we know is a giant cluster okay? mm-hmm. but every time that you take competition out of the marketplace then what you're doing is making price discovery more complicated that is a that's a component of supply and demand like if you don't know if price discovery is not possible or if you have a monopoly they set the price rather than the consumer having choice and allowing the choice to drive price
1: well and we saw that what was it with was it the epipens i think where yeah
0: yeah epipen was a a huge example Mm -hmm. where it became massive price gouging for something that was medically necessary for survival and patents that protected a company from even being able to for anybody else being able to get it and you know, of course, that guy ended up in jail.
1: Oh, did he? Yeah,
0: he did. And so that's one of those, two where, you know, if you're really purist about the market, you say, well, that's just capitalism, except that the government's protecting the patent, so it's no longer pure capitalism. It's a free-ish market. This one had a government-provided moat and an exploitation of that moat. Mm-hmm. Right? And the moat, by this, I'm saying that's the protection, right? Big companies are protected by regulation more than small companies. Small companies drown in the moat. The big companies just dig the moat bigger, Mm. right? And then they ultimately make the consumer pay for it because they survive. Then the the toll fee comes
1: into play to cross the bridge. Exactly.
0: (laughs) So that's that's my issue here. And again, we're way off in the weeds, but every now and then we say something where I go, you know, ethical capitalism requires pricing transparency. And it requires the understanding and knowledge that you shouldn't gouge the customer. It should be a mutually beneficial transaction. It's not... Pure capitalism, where you're just like, I will get as much as I can from the customer. Okay. That's what sent that dude to jail. Mm-hmm. Right? That's exploitative capitalism. I'm not a fan of that. Ethical capitalism, where reasonable profits for everybody. Now, that reasonable is a spectrum, right? And it's, so, this is an ambiguous term, it's subjective in nature. So, but the ethics matter. Some people, I don't think they have any ethics at all. They're just willing to say, well, who cares? As long as I get mine and somebody else is dumb enough to pay me, then it's their problem. To which I would say, if that's your attitude, you're a terrible person. See a therapist. Mm-hmm. Good talk. Okay. Uh, <laughs> now we got to get into growth strategies, and I'm like, I guess we can jam through these pretty quickly because they're so so vague. Anyway, um, we got to take one more break, Matt. All we gotta right. Got to get our last one in here. If we do this, it'll leave us enough time to, to to wrap up here. So okay, we'll do that. When we come back, we're gonna wrap up the the vaging AI marketing business plan that and more. I'm Dave Littlejohn
1: and Matt Dixon. You got True Wealth.
0: All right, gang. Home stretch of the True Wealth radio show where Matt and I are going to spend the last few minutes mocking AI's version of how to start a profitable business. Profitable Perfect. business. It would it'd be easier to mock if I could enunciate. Mm.
1: Well, <laughs> you know, I've struggled with it today too. It's a ton day. We're allowed to struggle.
0: <laughs> it's the struggle is real. Mm. So, the last few things I gotta go find it again. All right. So look, it was growth strategies of marketing and branding, customer acquisition and retention, and innovation and adaptation. Which I think these are actually relatively. Um, what can I say? I mean, they're they're actually relatively straightforward. It's just that it's it's such a high level that it's not terribly useful, right? Like marketing and branding. Uh, small businesses branding less important than marketing. Not gonna lie, right? Mm-hmm. You are the brand when you're small. Like right, right now, our firm. Matt, you, me, we're a brand. Mm-hmm. We got a logo. We got colors. We got you know a branding standard and all that because we want our customers to be able to recognize when stuff's coming from us. Mm-hmm. Plus, um, like uppity, because my degree was actually in journalism and mark in mass communications, but marketing was a component, like the creative side, not the the wonky yeah. ad buying side. And to me, I like. To have a corporate look and feel and voice and all those things. I think it's relevant. And our company is not just me anymore. You
1: like a having a brand standard.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, but it's really not essential to a small business, right? You are the brand. Your quality speaks for itself. How you treat your customers—it's your is name and
1: your reputation. At the end of the day, that drives a lot of business.
0: Yeah, at the end of the day, it—it's always going to be that. But the, the customer acquisition and retention—that's part of your branding effort, right? You right? want or your your marketing effort. You
1: want customers that are loyal and that make referrals and drive more yeah. business.
0: Well, and we tend to think automatically in terms of a service business because that's what we're in. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like, well, you are the brand and you got to treat the customer. It could work for a
1: restaurant, too. You have a great meal. You're going to tell your friends about it and you're going to go back and you're going to eat there again.
0: But I would think about like locally, uh, I think of North River right now. I think Mm -hmm. they get a lot of government contracts now, but they're making um, high end boats. Mm -hmm. Right. And they're they're known for quality. Right. And they're they're desirable upper echelon brand.
1: Yeah. That's why I own one. I'll just so, close it on here. There you go. <laughs> yeah. And
0: so, but that's the issue, right? Is that, the, so it, the, the the quality speaks up, but the brand is North River. They have their logo and they have their styles and you, you know what they're about, right? Mm-hmm. And then the innovation and adaptation, that simply means that, you know, at some point your product may need to evolve. This is more, relevant. I mean, like tech companies, they have to constantly iterate with something new and f- flashy. Some things don't like, hey, the family recipe is just right. You don't have to change that but you may need to change the way the business runs if you're you know because you got employee turnover or you want to get bigger mm-hmm. or you want a franchise or you want just multiple locations like that's for a restaurant it's going to look different for each business
1: well you know and i i know people personally who have been successful in business and what they were able to do they started in one arena right mm-hmm. and they did really well they were really good at it but they realized that there was more money to be made in a slightly different arena and they were just as good playing in that ball field too. And so they kind of started to transition the business into an area where they were able to serve more clients, get bigger contracts, and so they were able to adapt. And I think that's a big piece, adaptability. This, This
0: also tends to be the serial entrepreneur's MO, right? Like, mm-hmm. hey, this thing's working pretty well, but now I'm kind of bored. I want to get back to be an entrepreneur again. Mm-hmm. I've suffered from this, right? I mean, I've, I've been involved with lots of startups, and so uh, it's always kind of interesting. I, I could almost go so far as to say I'm becoming a startup expert because I've done enough. I mean, I've probably been like you know, eight or 10 that I've been directly hands on involved in Mm -hmm. and probably about twice again, that many that I've been indirectly involved with folks getting started.
1: Well, and you've done a lot of business planning for people over the years too. That's another thing you can't undervalue.
0: That's, that's probably, if there was like a takeaway to wrap up this show on that, I would say, what could, could we warn entrepreneurs about? Okay. This is probably it do your negative due diligence. Mm-hmm. Okay? It's a really weird phrase here, but what happens is the entrepreneur has a dream and an energy and a passion. And it's like, well, let's go for it. But you tend to data fit and look for everything through those rose-tinted glasses. Like, it's going to be great, just wait and see. And what you need is some other people that are willing to be a pessimist for you if you're not. Mm-hmm. Right? If you're such a pessimist, you won't ever do it. Oh, that's not a win but being a pessimist at some point saying what could go wrong and then how will i respond you need to flesh that out in advance because let me tell you something when it comes to business things will go wrong okay and when they do you need to be prepared because if you freak out right you go into a fight or flight response it's much more dangerous so so that's the biggie is I encourage everybody if you're an entrepreneur, think it through and if you got a dream and it can work, I encourage folks to go for it, but think it all the way through, not mm-hmm. just the good stuff, the bad stuff too. So Matt, I like it. If folks have a dream, I will say we do business consulting within our financial planning arena, mm-hmm. okay? It's our core business is not necessarily that, but it's something that we do really well and if you are interested in that, let us know. You can give our office a call. We can certainly walk through a business plan with you and help. Okay. So how do they reach us? Yeah.
1: Give us a phone call at 541-375-0898.
0: All right. Also go to littlejohnfs.com and you can get all the vitals for how to reach us. But we're out of time for now. So uh, as always, thanks everybody for tuning in. Hope it was useful. Until next time, I'm Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. And you will listen in to True Wealth on News Radio 93.9 FM and 1240 KQEN. The preceding program was paid for by Little John Financial Services. The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brook Communications, its affiliates, or its employees.